Welcome to Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time. Okay, so for this episode, we're going to be discussing Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, a savage journey into the heart of... I fucked it up. (laughs) A savage journey to the heart of the American dream by Hunter S. Thompson and Ralph Stedman. Well, Ralph Stedman did the illustrations. Right. Yeah. What do you think about the illustrations? Oh, I love the illustrations. They're pretty cool. Oh, yeah. And you got them in your Audible version? Yeah, my Kindle version. Oh, your Kindle version. (laughs) Excuse me. Yes. So, how do they come through? Did did you get them as you're going through the book? Yeah, it's the same. It's the same as the book. Yeah. Yeah. It was all black and white, right? Right. And they, for me, in the the print version, they didn't always line up to what the story was talking about. Like, sometimes the illustration was a little ahead or behind. I think they kind of just fit it in. Right where they could. No, that it was like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But but it, the style of it kind of complemented the story well yes. because it's very like <laughs> out there and interesting. I don't know. What did you? Oh think? yeah, very surreal and and added another dimension to the story. Right. Telling. Yeah. But why'd you pick this book? I thought it would be an interesting book to read. Something that I've wanted to read for a while. I've heard bits and pieces of his quotes from essays or letters and things like that and i know he's a good writer like i like his style so i thought i would just read this it's kind of a classic right modern classic i guess so <laughs> i mean i get you i think you're right there modern classic yeah. but you haven't read anything else he did before no no okay i know he's done like fear and loathing on the campaign trail this is kind of like his right tagline now right. but uh what did you, what were your impressions of the book? Uh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Once I gave in to the drug-induced rampages they go on. In the middle there with that stuff about Lucy, that artist from Montana or whatever, I didn't get the point of that. And that's when it bothered me. Like I think this speaks to a larger g- drug culture, whereas if a person is hallucinating and they're just doing it to themselves, they're just experiencing it to themselves. I think that's one argument that the drug people have is that like, oh, I'm just doing it to my own body. But then like, but with drug addicts or, you know, it, people who are on drugs, it always affects other people. And then that's where I was conflicted because these two guys were just being crazy on these drug rampages. But then all of a sudden there's another girl and they're kind of stringing her along as well and I didn't really like that but what that did is it helped me suspend like okay there's no story to this but like what did you think of this story I would say my first impression of the story itself I didn't love it I didn't think there was much of a story no, but that's I'm, kind of the point right is that it's all about the drug outbursts and things like that but I agree with what you're saying I thought they were kind of assholes throughout the book to various characters sometimes it was funny sometimes it went too far Right. But there, he wasn't trying to like glorify himself. He he didn't paint himself in a great light. I don't know what he was going for exactly, but no. I mean, yeah, I did not feel like if this was Hunter S. Thompson being himself and just like kind of taking on a pseudonym for the hotels and, and being in Vegas and whatnot. Uh, he doesn't sound like that great of a guy. Right. But I don't think that's the point. Not the point, but like that's part of the story is that these guys aren't that. This is more just for the experience and along for the ride and just explain the drug effects, side effects of the drugs that they're taking. Yeah. But it's, it was a little wild. I wonder how much of it was autobiographical. I think a fair amount. It seems like it. I don't think you can make some of this stuff up. I mean, that, (laughs) (laughs) one of my favorite parts was the drag race with the white car. 
first of all, I liked how they called it the, the first car they got was a red convertible. They yeah. called it the Shark. And the second one was a white, white Cadillac, whale. the Whale. Yeah, I like that. But then when they're drag racing with these Oklahoma cops and his attorney is puking out the side and it just streaks along the side of the car as they're tearing down the, the Las Vegas Strip, I thought that was entertaining. And I enjoyed those types of stories as far as substance of a story throughout the whole book. So the overall story, just in like a sentence, is basically him, Raul Duke, which is Hunter S. Thompson, and his attorney, Dr. Gonzo, or whoever he really is, goes to the desert. They're covering stories, you know. First one is like a motorcycle race, right? Mm-hmm. And then the second one is a drug conference with a yeah, bunch of with cops. Yeah, district attorneys in, in Las America. Vegas. Yeah, which I think is an ironic place to hold right. a, a conference about drugs with the district attorneys of America in Las Vegas. Right. He had some line like, I thought the drug culture should be represented here. <laughs> or something, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and this book is kind of broken down into little stories about they take this drug or they're in this hotel and they do this or that or whatnot. He's always on the quest for the American dream. Mm-hmm. But one thing I liked, well, I found entertaining was the, the Dr. Gonzo's attorney in the bathtub of like green water with a knife and then he like attacks him or goes to attack him. He wants like Jefferson Airplane played on the tape ca- cassette player and, and is just bugging out, right? <laughs> just freaking out. Hunter S. Thompson or Raul Duke. I thought that was very sharp with the the visualization. I could picture that in my mind very well. Yeah, yeah. they kind of showed the good, bad, and ugly, I guess, right. of the drugs. Yeah. Like, they showed the fun, kind of silly parts, but also this dark side where they're, like, mm-hmm. get violent and unpredictable and pretty mm-hmm. weird, so... Mm-hmm. It's a mix. And then and then it just kind of, you know... He, so he goes to cover this... Motorcycle race, then he goes to cover this drug conference, mm-hmm. all the while tripping out on all these pills and drugs and stuff that they have in their cars. And then he just kind of leaves Las Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. There's, what's the end? He goes to Denver? Like, was right. he covering something else in Denver? I didn't get that. They left it open-ended. Yeah. I mean, it didn't have a narrative so too much, so it didn't have to follow a logical conclusion. Sure. At the end, it was funny, though. He wanted to, like, just buy a, <laughs> a dog, like a Doberman randomly and he was trying to buy a gorilla towards the end do you remember that or like an ape he was trying to like buy an ape oh and then yeah, have it fly yeah. home with him but did the did the monkey like bite a older yeah person it like attack somebody yeah. and yeah. it was violent but he was just talking about trying to bring it on the plane and then just pretending it was like his son or something <laughs> just like oh he's sick don't mind him like, those yeah. parts are entertaining to me sure. how like crazy he was yeah i mean and so that yeah that definitely held my interest and it was a quick read short shorter book because i don't think that he had much substance to make it longer but uh yeah i mean did it make you want to do drugs Uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's no i no it's too much i don't think so yeah the characters are just too much oh yeah i mean like he talks about like not sleeping for like 60 hours at a time straight or something like that it's crazy i never want to experience that right they get into some funny situations right but what's the cost you know uh to their bodies and yeah (laughs) their soul their (laughs) Their eternal soul (laughs) um but just in general i thought his style of writing was really good like he had these pretty poetic sentences that just had a nice flow to them almost like uh just a bouncing cadence or something yeah 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 he was definitely a, a good writer yes mm-hmm. i can appreciate him for that and just a unique 
a unique style. Like, I can't think of someone who's quite like him in terms of how he wrote or what he wrote about. Right. I agree. This work is very original. And I think that... And when was it published? I don't even know. Was it 71 uh, or something like that? Yeah, I want to say late 60s, early 70s, maybe. Well, he talked about something about the 70s. Oh, yeah. In the, in the story. I don't know exactly when the book well, was published, but I think the events might have happened in the early 70s. Oh, okay. And I feel like there was... I mean, I didn't grow up during that time, but I feel like this would have spoken to people. It was, I think it was a very contemporary book, and mm-hmm. I think that's why it's held up, is because at that time, I think it was very relevant and very original. Mm-hmm. I think that was the big thing about the 60s, you know, and originality and being hip. Right. Well, a big theme in this book, it felt like, was the end of the 60s and transitioning into the Nixon era. Because he mentions Nixon quite a few oh. times, and he just hates him. And I've like I looked up a couple of interviews with him, and he just says like Nixon stands for everything. He just hates. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see the contrast between the '60s culture and that '70s kind of yeah. mentality coming in. What did you think about the chemistry between Raoul Duke and his attorney? I thought it was I thought it was entertaining. Yeah. I thought you know it seemed to to kind of go back and forth but like i said the attorney was in the bathtub then he appeared with a knife and was going crazy attacking raul duke and another time raul duke was driving through a fence and across the runway to get him to the airport or something like and so he was freaking out i mean and causing his attorney to to flip out so i feel like it was a, a good give and take where depending on who was on what <laughs> drug at any given time one person was more crazy than the other. <laughs> then, then I did have a very, a very clear picture when he talked about the attorney in the closet vomiting in his shoes and being caught by the maid that walks in the door and like, <laughs> I thought that was an entertaining scene as well. <laughs> yeah, you just feel bad for those poor oh, people who yeah. get caught up in the crosshairs of, <laughs> yeah. but they like pretend to be cops or something and mm-hmm. pretend they go into this whole like complex scenario about how they're undercover and like trying to do a drug bust when they're the crazy people it's pretty entertaining how creative they can be with these scenarios but then they talked about like people in la were cutting off heads decapitating people that was so funny though because (laughs) they're kind of messing with this cop at the conference and they're saying people on drugs are crazy they're cutting each other's heads off or cutting other people's heads off and then the guy is from like georgia and he's freaking out and then he's like so what are you guys doing to like fight this crime and they're like well we started like cutting the criminals heads off and so they're just (laughs) just totally fucking with him it's really funny yeah yeah But I liked how the attorney would preface so many of his sentences with, as your attorney, and then just like give some advice that had nothing to do with like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> law or anything. And, yeah. Uh, I thought that was entertaining. Mm-hmm. And they were eating like a bunch of grapefruits. They had like 10 grapefruits oh, with yes. them. Oh, yes. I love the grapefruits. <laughs> yes. They also did that with the soap from the first hotel they left. They had all this soap yeah or whatever packed in the car and they had grapefruit i think every time they ordered room hotel service they had grapefruits <laughs> yeah rum and grapefruits or something like that yeah and so, then yeah when he's on the airplane going to denver at the end of the book the stewardess is alarmed by him cutting the grapefruit with a large knife a hunting knife yes yeah. and he's like oh don't worry this is just a grapefruit <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trying to be healthy. Yeah, but yeah, and then the in the movie, I never saw the movie, but it's Johnny Depp is Raul Duke and Benicio del Toro is yeah. Dr. Yeah, it's a good cast. I yeah. mean, I would be curious as to, 
I mean, I feel like they could be pretty true to the book mm-hmm. in the movie. I haven't seen it, but I'm... I watched the trailer after reading this, yeah. and it looked like they had done a good job. I know it's gotten mixed reviews, mm-hmm. and I think it's sort of a cult movie just because it's like Johnny Depp and because of the subject matter. I don't know if it's an actually a good movie, mm-hmm. but I like the cast. Yeah, they seem like they play the parts well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh, one thing I thought was interesting was his chapter titles. They were kind of like long and rambly. I guess like a lot of his style, mm-hmm. but. You know, like most people's chapter titles in books are just like a short, brief, simple description, but his kind of had these, I don't know, chaotic nature to them. Right. It was just kind of schizophrenic almost, like where you just pick a couple phrases and mash them together, but then they were what the chapter was about. Like, Mm -hmm. I would go back, I would read a chapter and go back and read (laughs) the title and like, oh, the title makes sense now. Right. You know, it's this, this, and this, you know? Yeah. But yes, it was, it was very cool. I like when people label their chapters. I don't like just the one and the two. I mean, right. I guess most books, like 99% of books do the, just the one and the two or whatever. Well, it depends but, on the author and the yeah. style. I mean, that's like a, just a small thing that makes him original, I think, mm-hmm. is that he does this sort of thing. But yeah, in general, his tone was very like manic and crazy, but then also that poetic side to it too. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think there are a lot of people like this in history who are that eccentric and like out there, but still pretty, I don't know. Good writers. Yeah. 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 Like stylistically, he's very mm-hmm. good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's tough to to maintain that, like you said, that being so out there and, and eccentric, but yet still come up with some very precise sentences mm-hmm. that really are are yeah good literature. Yeah. Like he saw things in a certain way and he captured them in a unique way. I saw this documentary about him way back and mm-hmm. I remember him talking about reading like Hemingway and loving that style, which a lot of his books were like kind of autobiographical too and he did these sort of crazy interesting things. Mm-hmm. But he talked about even just like typing his books, Hemingway's books on a typewriter just to feel how good like how it felt to write something that good, which I thought was interesting because <laughs> you're kind yeah. of internalizing that physical motion of Typing something right, like that. right. That's a that's a very interesting perspective. I would have never, never thought like like almost like playing the notes of a musical piece. Mm-hmm. You're typing the words of Hemingway, trying to train your brain. Okay, this is what it should feel yeah. like. And nobody <laughs> nobody does that though. Like who would have thought to do? I mean, no, it makes I, sense because yeah, people oh, practice yeah. piano, people right. practice instruments, but nobody mm-hmm. like types. I mean, it feels weird, but it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's from Louisville, Kentucky. Did oh, you know right. that? Yeah, huh. he like grew up here. And it's just like a trouble kid kind of, I think. Mm. And then moved out west or something. <laughs> I would think he would have a troubled childhood. Yeah, right. <laughs> no offense to the Thompson family. I'm sure they're lovely people. But but I'm sure Hunter S. did not have the most. He had problems with authority just no. throughout it. Yeah. You don't who, say. Who would have given I liked how he was friends with like Bill Murray throughout his life. Oh. Too. You know that? No. Bill Murray played him in some movie, one of his books, I think, a while ago. Mm. Buffalo something. But I remember in the documentary, Bill Murray was telling Johnny Depp before playing him in this movie, oh, you got to be kind of careful because once you kind of take on that persona of Hunter, he never really goes away. Oh, Which, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I thought that was interesting because when you think about Bill Murray, I mean, he's definitely his own person and very like mm. unique, but he, you can kind of sense he draws maybe a little bit from Hunter's personality. If not directly, he kind of respects it. Were they similar in age? I... I don't know. I think Hunter S. Thompson was older, though. Probably. Yeah. He died in um, a few years ago, right. I think. Right. And 
there are videos of him on YouTube just like shooting guns with Conan O'Brien and stuff. <laughs> Did you see that? He would like shoot guns at his neighbors and just like do these wild things. Uh, yeah, oh. definitely an interesting guy. Yeah. And as much as he hated Nixon and like authority, he still kind of loved America for some reason i just remember him saying like i don't think there are that many places where i could be myself like this and be oh, that out there i think yeah. people like him i mean that's just it like he is looked at as total you know anti-establishment and and you know like he was you know you had the, all those cops in that district attorney convention in this book mm-hmm. were you know the quintessential square model citizens that respected the law and authority and all that stuff and henry s thompson was the complete reverse of all what those district attorneys stood for but yet they the district attorneys would assume that that person is despicable he's not what america stands for when really they're both both of them are exactly what america stands for is the fact that you can be opposite ends of the spectrum and coexist and do your own thing you know and as long as you're not harming others you can live your life in america so i think that's spot on that hunter s thompson i don't think could be hunter s thompson in another country Right, because... Or at another time. Sorry an, another know, era, yeah. Yeah, you know, I feel like the 60s and 70s were kind of what made him him as well. Yeah, he would probably offend too many people today. <laughs> and, uh, but no, this book is classified as counterculture, but in a lot of ways, it's just like American culture. Like you said, these two ends of the spectrum. And I think Vegas, Las Vegas, is an interesting setting for this too because they talk about it a lot and it highlights a lot of parts of American culture too. You have these people trying to just get rich gambling and he kind of comments on everybody looking the same and just kind of greedy looking for money. And Yeah. I think, have you ever been to Vegas? I've never been, no. Do you, does this book make you want to go to Vegas? A little or? bit. I mean, I wouldn't say that he paints it as in the best picture. Mm-hmm. I mean, on one hand, he'll say like, as long as you tip big, then you can be whoever and do anything, you know? Mm-hmm. So he's saying they're welcoming if you kind of respect the place, but then it's like, you see that crazy side to it. You see the violence and the greediness. So right. it, part of me wants to go, but what about you? Oh, I've, I've been to Vegas one time and it's fun, but like, I didn't feel like this book was about Vegas per se. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, it was more like you said, the counterculture mm-hmm. of the time. And I think Vegas was just the environment in which his zany actics took place this time that he told the story. I feel like Hunter S. Thompson could easily written this and been in like San Francisco or LA or Miami or... Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's not about Vegas, but I think he used the city itself and its unique culture to kind of highlight some of his themes or messages, things like that. Sure, yes, I agree with you there. You're right, you're right. The fact that people are trying to get rich and gambling at all hours of the day and just, it's nonstop. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing closes. And he talks about the American dream so much in this book, right? Mm -hmm. And what is the American dream? It's such a, an abstract like concept. When you think about the traditional version, it's like get a house and car and kids or whatever. And the way he describes it, it's more like that sense of freedom and just doing whatever you want, I guess. That rugged individualism type thing. So it's a it's a broad concept. But I liked when he was talking about California in general. He would talk about just driving along the coast and how it was like a special time and you could go to any city, anything could really happen. I mean, you had like a very special set of people living there at the time, the artists and the musicians and things like that. I did like his references to pop culture and I found myself Googling different people he just mentions in passing. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, 
a so-and-so type character or, and I'm like who is there's that there's so many boxers so yeah, many like fighters boxers, yeah, yeah. yeah and he quotes songs from the day and even like a guy that was an actor on some crime TV show on at the time. Yeah. You know, I mean, just like obscure little things like that. I, I dug it because it helped take me to that place in time. Right. It helped create the context of the early 70s. and, and Were those obscure yeah. references for the time, do you think? Or just... No, because? I think okay. I think those were very hip references of the day, uh, talking about the music especially. Mm-hmm. I think people re- reading it when it was published would have known exactly what he was talking about. One interesting part too, towards the end, he talks about like the Hells Angels and stuff mm-hmm. for a bit, which he had joined at one point. Right, I didn't know that. Yeah, so there's that whole side of his life and those stories, but he talked about how it was kind of a shame that the hippie culture and the Hells Angels didn't really join forces like the whole left was just too disorganized and that kind of paved the way for Nixon in his eyes. Mm, interesting. I didn't pick up on that paving the way for Nixon, but I definitely heard his lament in the fact that yes, the hip the what do you call them, the long hairs and the and yeah. the Hell's Angels couldn't come together because they ultimately did agree on a lot of core principles. But I'm sure that was something that was very relevant to in that time and, and that would have struck a chord with a lot of people. Yeah, they had these leading figures, like he mentioned Allen Ginsberg and famous authors and poets and things trying to like rally people together. But one more thing about the transition from the 60s to the 70s, he talked about the rise of downers drugs yes instead of psychedelics and things that they were doing. That was very interesting. Which I think it's sort of a big thing because the downers are really about pacifying people and I, I don't know that much about drugs, but like they <laughs> make, it's psychedelics are, they, people think of them as like mind expanding and like eye opening, things like that. And of course there's a dark side. Yes, I thought that was very interesting how he put it is, is he saw the evolving use of drugs and he even said like these people at this conference, the drug conference, these district attorneys are clueless. They're 10 years behind the time. Yeah. They're still focusing on just marijuana when there's all these other stuff. And like you said, he said, he was talking about how people are doing more downers and that psychedelics are being faded out. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting how maybe that has led to where we are today with op- opioids and heroin and, and yeah. painkillers where you know it started back in the 70s, maybe, perhaps. I bet we're due for a resurgence in like psychedelic-type drugs. It seems like there are some pretty high-profile people. Like I hear a lot on other podcasts today, interviews with scientists and researchers saying that these can help treat addictions, they can treat PTSD, something like shrooms, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know, peyote or something. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Things like that. Um, yeah, I know. We are not up on our drugs. Yeah. Forg- <laughs> forgive us. Uh, but I think but there that, are benefits. But I, I, I think you're also right there because I think everything in history is cyclical, right? Mm-hmm. So I think millennials are coming around to the more mind-expanding drugs to kind of, you know, open their mind's eye and, and get a broader perspective of the world and humanity and all that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, that the hippies would have been all about. Mm-hmm. And and I think you're definitely right that I think we're going to be in a, in a resurgence for the psychedelic drugs just yep. going forward, which I don't think is a bad thing. Well, it, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I think we can get lessons from the past to not take it this far as they kind of <laughs> take it in the book. 
But when you think about like Nixon and his war on drugs and those effects still come today, like decades later, and people are recognizing that that was like, like they just decriminalized marijuana possession in like New York and Mm -hmm. they're just slowly evolving. And yeah. And that's just it. I don't think, I mean, this would have been a very hard book to write at any other time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it was one of those where history and author kind of just like, I always wonder what I would be like if I was born in a different place or time, you know? Yeah. Um, but Hunter S. Thompson was born in the right place for Hunter S. Thompson. Right. Yeah. It's the perfect story. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and that's the thing. It's like, even though the story isn't great, it almost doesn't have to be because he did these entertaining things right. and he captured something special and right. wrote it well. And didn't dwell on anything to, for too long that he was beating a dead horse or he didn't like yeah I felt like it moved at a good pace it flowed from one thing to the other the chapters were quick but yet still carried the overall story whatever <laughs> how loosely the story there was of this in this book that it still carried from chapter to chapter and just yeah I felt like it was well done without being too descriptive or too mundane he kept it sharp with good allegories and yeah he had a good energy to it mm-hmm. and yeah good pacing everything mm-hmm. like that um and just a fun way of writing about the world like he said about the cars being sharks like yeah. riding the red shark through the <laughs> desert it's just a very yeah. poetic way to sort of think about your life or something yeah. i think right off the bat because he was riding the red shark through the desert, like he said. But then, like he was, he was the driver. And then all of a sudden, these bats come out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and, and they're like, "I need to pull over or something." You drive, or something. Somebody said, I think. So it's like, okay, this is gonna be this is gonna be trippy because right. they pick up a hitchhiker and he's like yelling at him, and yeah, it's it it sets the tone early, and I think and I like that it set the tone early. You knew what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. And it maintained it throughout the whole story without getting uh, boring or monotonous or without dragging. Yeah, 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 they just dive right into it. Mm -hmm. It's almost like we're the hitchhiker and we're joining them on this. uh, I like it. Not to get too deep. (laughs) No, Um, no, get deep, Tim. Yeah, because we're just joining them on that uh, journey. (laughs) Yeah, and and so this was a, a movie with Johnny Depp. Yeah. And then there was another movie called The Rum Diaries, I think was based on right. another writing. That was his writing. first book he wrote. Yes. And, the, and Johnny Depp played him in that He was one in too. Puerto Rico or something. Yeah, yeah. I actually saw that movie and did, I, was, did I liked like it. it. Yeah. Really? That was good. So uh, now I didn't read Rum Diaries, yeah. but I imagine from the movie it wouldn't be as zany as this one. But, right. But it's definitely, it's interesting. I, I really liked how he wrote this book, but judging Hunter S. Thompson as a person, I may not like him, mm-hmm. you know? And it's that point where you have that with art or with sports. You have people that you may admire their work, but not like the man or woman. Yeah. Does, how do you feel about that uh, conflict? Do I'm, you have that conflict with him? I'm torn a little bit. On one hand, I respect it. I mean, like, my personality, I'm sort of a people pleaser. <laughs> so <laughs> I think when you see someone who just doesn't really care, it's a little... Um, it's it's uh, entertaining to see. Like in that interview I watched with him online, he was sort of like not putting on any airs or trying to connect with the people filming him. He thought it, they were being, he thought it was inauthentic to have the cameras and things like that. And he just kind of said what he felt. So he didn't try to be a different person. Mm-hmm. Like he wrote with his own unique voice and he didn't apologize for it. 
Right. Yeah. True. I guess that is admirable, and I and I think I can take it at face value that I just like his writing and not have to worry about whether I actually like him as a person. <laughs> did you did you like dislike him as a as a person? Well, I don't know much about him. Right. I mean, just based from this book, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, no offense to Hunter S. Thompson. I mean, I enjoyed the book, but it doesn't sound like he was the nicest person. But. Yeah. And but they don't try to be likable. Like I said, like that's just no. Yeah. And I think that's that's good. I don't want them to. I don't think it's the same book if they try to be likable. Right. You know? Yeah. But it's just like a lot of abuse on your body to take oh, all those drugs. God, I can't imagine. Like one of the first passages in the book is just we have seventy-five pellets of mescaline, and then he just names like drug after drug. I know, like, and I'm like, oh, LSD, cocaine, yeah. <laughs> marijuana, uh, yeah. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So it's a lot, but it's fun. It's a fun read. Mm-hmm. What would you rate it? You want to do the rating right yeah, now? Yeah, let's do it. I would give it four out of five stars. I would too. Yeah, I agree. Four out of five stars. I liked it. Yeah, I once I suspended my expectation of a story mm-hmm. and was along for the ride, which would happened early on. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. It was it was a fun read. Yeah, I think. You just got to go into this with an open mind, not take it too seriously, and just try to appreciate the the adventure of it, right? Yeah. And some social commentary sprinkled yeah. throughout. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Do you want to take turns reading quotes? And yeah, stuff? I want to. Our favorite quotes, yeah. So just how we talked about the starting off of the book, that first quote to open the first chapter says, he who makes a beast of himself gets rid of the pain of being a man was a quote by dr johnson uh whoever that is but i thought that set the tone well just how they kind of go crazy throughout the book and yeah they're not trying to meet any societal expectations or something they just kind of use the drugs to lose themselves and see what happens towards the beginning as well but our trip was different it was a classic affirmation of everything right and true and decent in the national character it was a gross physical salute to the fantastic possibilities of life in this country but only for those with true grit. And we were chock full of that. Nice. Uh, I felt like that was a good launching point. You know, I mean, it wasn't the very beginning, but I think it was like the second or third chapter that... Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Going off that, he also says, every now and then when your life gets complicated and the weasels start closing in, the only real cure is to load up on heinous chemicals and then drive like a bastard from Hollywood to Las Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fun one. <laughs> that is a good one. I forgot about that one. <sighs> gotta have more quotes, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, oh. I love this. When they go to check in the hotel for the first time in, in uh, Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and uh, they take some drug before they go into the hotel, and then uh, Raul Duke, the narrator, uh, right next to me, a huge reptile was gnawing on a woman's neck. The carpet was a blood-soaked sponge impossible to walk on it no footing at all order some golf shoes i whispered otherwise we'll never get out of this place alive (laughs) (laughs) that thing that cracked me up i just had that visualization of a of a blood-soaked sponge as a carpet and the need of his rationale when he's high on drugs is like okay we need golf shoes or else we're not getting out of here (laughs) yeah i remember he had to wear shoes when he went to the bathroom because it just had like oh glass on the ground and drugs and vomit Mm -hmm. and all this Mm -hmm. um 
Yeah. So I have fun quotes, and I have kind of deep ones. It's just sort of a mix. You can mi- yeah, mix them up. All right. Um, I think this book is very quotable. Yeah, it, it really ha- is. It has it has a lot of good little little one-liners and also like paragraphs where where I where I didn't quite know what all to highlight because I felt like it was all pretty good. Yeah. And yeah. he could have a sentence that would go like five lines, just one sentence, and it'd be really well written. So one thing he said was, San Francisco in the middle 60s was a very special time and place to be a part of. Maybe it meant something, maybe not in the long run. But no explanation, no mix of words or music or memories can touch that sense of knowing that you were there and alive in that corner of time and the world, whatever it meant. Yeah, man, I think the hippies ate that shit up. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> no, they did. I mean, that's like, that's exactly what, I mean, like, it's not about material possessions or, or social status. It's about being and just, what, what was the acid uh, Timothy Leary saying? Drop in, tune out. Uh, tune, turn on, tune in, and drop out. There you go. Yeah. Like, that's what, do that, just exist Right. Be here now in space and time and, and and enjoy yourself. I think that hurt them, though, in terms of, like, organizing. And that's why they Absolutely. lose elections and <laughs> can't organize something. Oh, yeah. They're too, too much <laughs> dropping out and <laughs> turning on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And if you're in the moment, you don't plan ahead. <laughs> right. Then you're just, fuck, Nixon got elected. Yeah. Um, yeah. You got to find a balance. Yeah. When they, when, when they actually do get into Las Vegas, um, they go to the Circus Circus Casino. I oh, like yeah. that casino with the, like everyone, I had the good picture of everyone gambling on the floor mm. and then a net above them and then the trapeze artists are going <laughs> haywire up above. Mm. But then he, he talks about just, he's on drugs again. And then he says, we will close the drapes tonight. A thing like that could send a drug person careening around the room like a ping pong ball. Hallucinations are bad enough, but after a while you learn to cope with things like seeing your dead grandmother crawling up your leg with a knife in her teeth. Most acid fanciers can handle this sort of thing. I mean, I just saw that. And then, and then a paragraph later he says, No, this is not a good town for psychedelic drugs. Reality itself is too twisted. <laughs> See, Vegas. He talks about Vegas a lot. You're right. All right. Yeah. You prove... Yes. <laughs> but no, he, I like his vivid imagery. Yeah, with, I, I'm literally picturing my grandma Priscilla <laughs> crawling up my leg with a, with her knife in her teeth, you know, doing what I don't know, but yeah, just yeah, you shouldn't do LSD probably. You can cut that part out. I don't want to name drop my grandma <laughs> Priscilla. <laughs> Shout out. All right. What well, did you have a favorite picture? Uh, favorite picture. I mean. Off the top of my head, I'm not sure. There was the one of the attorney like vomiting in his shoes in the yeah, closet, which is yeah, pretty good. I actually did like that one too. Yeah. But my favorite one was um, when he's sneaking out of the hotel the first time. It's real simple, just him with a suitcase and like tiptoeing with a hat and with hat on and a cigarette. Oh yeah. You know, I feel like that's that that could be that's the one that you don't need context for. Just purely as a picture, I like that. Yeah. Even though the pictures are kind of few and far between and not always right after a logical place. Mm-hmm. I feel like they do add a lot to the story oh, because absolutely. they're so original and the book is so original, so mm-hmm. they go together well. Okay, all right. And here's another one <laughs> when he's in a casino and on drugs, of course. Mm-hmm. All right. Now off the escalator and into the casino, big crowds still tight around the crap tables. 
who are these people, these faces? Where do they come from? They look like caricatures of used car dealers from Dallas, but they're real. And sweet Jesus, there are a hell of a lot of them still screaming around these desert city crap tables at 4.30 on a Sunday morning, still humping the American dream, that vision of the big winner somehow emerging from the last-minute pre-dawn chaos of a stale Vegas casino. Mm, I love that passage. Yeah, humping the American dream, <laughs> yeah. you know? Right, and you can just kind of picture those people in there just oh, desperately yeah. doing yeah. slots, slot machines and right. trying right. to get the big win. All right, you're right. It, Vegas was very much a part of this. It's book. like a character of it this was. story, almost. I mean, he didn't explicitly. I guess he was kind of talking about it. My quotes uh, that I'm picking are all about the casino and his well, that's, trips. But it's like a no. microcosm of America, oh, too. Oh yeah. Right. So it's not all, like it's not always specifically Vegas, but just representing the country mm-hmm. this one's pretty good i don't know if i'll read the whole thing but mm-hmm. he just talks about how the 60s were coming to an end with mm-hmm. tim leary as a prisoner and bob dylan clipping coupons in greenwich village uh the kennedys murdered by mutants and uh, just naming these icons as symbolizing the fall of the 60s oh yeah i can't imagine living through those times you know mm. my parents did and but yeah it just seems chaotic to look back and see what went on in the late 60s and right. turning over into the 70s. And yeah. you think about all of these icons who just died of drug overdoses, Jim Morrison, mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, mm-hmm. or like alcohol or whatever. That's a part of it. That's part of the culture. Or like a reason that it kind of started coming to an end. It wasn't sustainable. Right. Um, you got another one? Yep. I think this is when his attorney leaves the first time. Mm. And he's left with the red shark and all the contraband in it. And then he's getting paranoid about having all the illegal drugs in his car. Mm-hmm. He says, sympathy? Not for me. No mercy for a criminal freak in Las Vegas. This place is like the army. The shark ethic prevails. Eat the wounded. In a closed society where everybody's guilty, the only crime is getting caught. In a world of thieves, the only final sin is stupidity. Mm. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah some good stuff it's sort of like this wild west culture mm. and do you think that was uh, reflective more of Las Vegas or more of that time period mm. I mean that idea of freedom being first and foremost is an element of the culture right but also the setting of being in the desert and being Las Vegas is highlights it more too I think I don't know I agree. I agree. I did like the part where they were on their way. He was on his way to take the attorney back to the airport, and then he was talking about running through the Peruvian airport and getting, like, tackled by the cops there, and they were yelling, like, stop the crazy gringo or something like that. (laughs) And then he proceeds to drive his car through the fence and down the service road to drop him off, like, his attorney, as he's basically... He basically kicks the attorney out of the moving vehicle. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) This, I feel like this will sum it up. So, you want me to, you got anything else or are you good? No, I'm good. Okay. Yeah. History is hard to know because of all the hired bullshit, but even without being sure of history, it seems entire, fuck, let me start over. Yeah. All right. So, just to preface this quote, (laughs) it kind of sums up the book in general and his views on the 60s coming to an end um, and all that. So, 
History is hard to know because of all the hired bullshit, but even without being sure of history, it seems entirely reasonable to think that every now and then the energy of a whole generation comes to a head in a long, fine flash for reasons that nobody really understands at the time and which never explain in retrospect what actually happened. Yeah, man. Right? It's like we can pick out pieces here and there to kind of uh, think about the hippie culture and Mm -hmm. it's good parts, it's bad parts, why it didn't last. But at the same time, it's like no one can really summarize everything. And uh, it, it was a very unique time. And who knows all the factors that went into it. Right. And, and, and I would say that it's one of those things where you can cherry pick certain things to come up with a narrative you want to come up with. But I think what he's saying is exactly what you said. It's, it's so broad and, and it's, it's kind of like lightning in a bottle. You know, mm. It just kind of happens and you don't really know what caused it or can explain its effect on society at large, but it's just, just enjoy it. Yeah, and maybe that's why he wrote the book in such a non-narrative style is because he's trying to say that this is just a chaotic time and nothing is that simple as like this straightforward, linear thing. Right, right. Yep. I dig it. Good book, Tim. Cool. Good choice. Yeah, I liked it. So, next one. I'm choosing the next book. Yeah. I'm what choosing Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. Mm. Have you read anything by him before? I have. I have read... The Road and No Country for Old Men. Mm. I read so, The Road a while ago. Yeah, mm. so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. I started it. You didn't no. start it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be ready. Better be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good episode.